Life Audio. Hey, welcome to Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries, gospel-app.com. We're in a new series. I don't want to confuse anybody. We're still going to go through the Sermon on the Mount, what's left of it. We have about 25% left. Uh, but uh, dealer's choice. I'm headed to Greece on a trip, a tour, where we're going to walk where Paul walked. So I've been spending some time trying to get into Paul's head uh, as he went to Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth, just just think, trying to figure out what he was thinking. Uh, what was his strategy? How did it change crossing over into these new provinces in the Roman Empire? What can we learn uh, about Paul? And, and uh, Thessalonica, the first letter to the Thessalonians is amazing. It probably one of his first if not Galatians, this would have been the first. And it's Paul at his best. He's learning. He's raw. He's struggling with emotions. He's struggling with uh, lack of confidence in in, uh, in the plan of God. I think it's just brilliant. I mean, I can relate to it. I think it should be must discipleship stuff. Okay. So uh, it was. I planned on it being four podcasts. Looks like it's going to be a few more. So four plus uh, two or three addendums, let's say. Okay. And this is the Paul's secondary mission, second missionary journey. Remember, this is a rant. If you're new to, to this, it's not a formal Bible study. I'm asking the text questions that I typically do when I begin my exegesis and pre- preparing for a sermon series or uh, a book or a workbook. And so we're, we're doing this together now. And many of you will find this uncomfortable because you're used to being spoon-fed from the pulpit. Uh, we're not going to do that here. We're not going to tell you what you should be doing, what you should believe. We're just going to ask questions and uh, let me know how it goes. Bill at gospel-app.com. By the way, uh, help us pass this on to friends and relatives. There's nothing like the rant out there. I think they'll enjoy it. Pass it on to your pastors and missionaries, and I thank you ahead of time. But before we get into the podcast, I want to thank Life Audio for hosting us and take these few moments for sponsors. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right. uh, Welcome back. The first three podcasts were really cultural background. We looked at the cultures of Rome and Greece, the religion, the the views on uh, porneia, sex and sexuality. We looked at politics and such. Today, we're going to actually get into the, begin to get into the letter of 1 Thessalonians. Again, uh, many scholars believe this was Paul's earliest epistle. Uh, this was the beginning of the publishing empire that became the New Testament. Much of it, 
Some probably, maybe most, believe that Galatians was the first. I'm going back and forth on that one. I mean, I sort of understand it. The pro, those who argue that Galatians was first, suggest that it was the issue behind the Galatian letter. It was legalistic, Toraic, Jewish convert scholars who were going into the Galatian region, right, in central Turkey, demanding that the Gentile converts to Christianity take on rules and cultural regs that were more for a Jewish audience. Uh, The gospel that Paul was preaching, the power and the effectiveness of the gospel, the expectations of the gospel was at stake. So Galatians is a ridiculously important letter. I'd love to do it sometime in the podcast. But here's the thing. The reason that makes me think, makes some of us think that it could be first was that that controversy began right after Paul's first missionary journey. So the timing would have been right for Paul to have written that letter from Jerusalem when he ended his first missionary journey. It just makes sense from a timing perspective. But against that, uh, the, the epistle to Galatians is very sophisticated. I mean, it's wildly different than First Thessalonians. It's well-written. It's organized. It's focused. It's thought out. It, it looks like it had an editor. It's, it's a theological giant at the level of the epistle to Romans. First Thessalonians, on the other hand, is personal, it's raw, clearly could use an editor. It doesn't have sweeping theological presentation. It really is more emotional and encouraging. It's transparent. It's more like a love letter in some ways. He says, you already know brothers. He repeats that over and over and over. So which one comes first? It's hard to say. Uh, and by the way, the, perhaps the best commentary that I've found on First Thessalonians by far is by Wanamaker, and he makes a minority argument that Second Thessalonians is actually the first epistle. I mean, I'm not convinced, but it's fascinating how he argues that. Either way, it's uh, almost universally agreed that both First and Second Thessalonians were written in the 18 months that Paul is in Corinth, say 51, 50 AD. So, As discussed in previous podcasts, uh, Paul is escorted out of town, Thessalonica, by recent converts, stayed there one to two months tops, so very short. I mean, how do you build a church? How do you lay foundation for a church in two months? When I did a church plant, it took us three to five years, okay? And his church plant was under constant threat of severe persecution, And one of the first converts had already been arrested and fined for conspiring to riot and to upset the Pax Romana, which is the Roman peace. Serious charges in the empire. I mean, that'll come to play a lot with Paul and in Acts. You don't want to be the one that causes the Roman army to reoccupy your city or village. When they came in and they were serious, they were bullies, they could devastate a series, they could undermine what you're building. And by the way, look at what they'll do to Jerusalem in, in a couple of decades. I mean, they're going to just wipe it to the ground. So in Pax Romana, there was indeed Roman justice, which they were very proud about. But the bigger concern, day-to-day concern by far, was to keep the public peace. And Paul's going to run into this over and over. If, if the enemies want to cut Paul off at the knees... Uh, what they do is they gather a mob, they pay them some coin, or they spread some rumors, and they start a, a riot, and then make an official charge somewhere that Paul and his movement are the cause, that they're disrupting the Pax Romana. And at that point, Paul doesn't have much a defense. I mean, he's fighting a mob, and, and he's fighting a justice system that just wants to get things off their table. So 
In Corinth, by the way, in contrast, the Jews, the jealous Jews, we see them again, take a very different tact, and they argue that that Christianity was a non-approved religion. Well, that was a big yawner for the Roman proconsul Gallio. He wasn't moved by that, Snor City. So Paul is, uh, in Thessalonica, he is accused of being a political disruptor, and that's what gets him escorted out of Thessalonica. Um, but before he gets those one to two months, something happened. And that's the point of the letter. It was remarkable. It was revival among the Jews a little, but mainly among the Gentiles. This is stuff that Paul and Silas and Timothy had been praying for. Uh, Once again, review. Here's Acts 17. When they had passed, that's Paul and Silas and and, uh, and Timothy. Uh, Luke stays in Philippi, we think. So when those three passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went to the synagogue and on three days, three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded. And remember the word was was not really believed, but they were they got it. I mean, they, they got the logic of it. And they joined Paul and Silas, which is a good first step, as did a number, a larger number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. If you recall, I'm highlighting in Acts and uh, in, in Paul's journey, just the, the emphasis that's put on honoring women. Um, verse 5, but the Jews were jealous. We see that again. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in the search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers, unknown. Uh, we don't know who those were, the other brothers, before the city officials shouting, these men, here's the complaint that works, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Uh, and Jason has welcomed, and it's Jason's fault. He welcomed them into the house, right? So that he's a co-conspirator. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Literally, they became confused. They didn't know what to do. Then they made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. From Luke's sparse recollection, remember, he he wasn't there. He was at Philippi, likely. So he just heard this from reports from Timothy, probably, or Silas. Uh, most argue that that Paul was in Thessalonica probably a couple of months. He was in he preached in the synagogue three weeks, but he was there longer because he received two benefactor gifts from Philippi. Likely, all of that didn't happen in three weeks. And he says that he proved that he was a hard worker. He wasn't depending upon anybody. We'll talk about why in a minute. So let's say he was there a couple of months. No way is that long enough to start a church that you would, humanly speaking, think would survive in good times, much less when jealous Jews are attacking the followers. And Paul was sent away really quickly, right? So he didn't have a time to do a final direction or to pass on notes or or train a new pastor, right? And this was a largely Greek group. So there was a lot of stuff that, that they didn't have understanding of in the, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a terrible leaving. So the work in Thessalonica was wildly promising. 
spirit moving, obvious, shocking conversions, testimonies, and just kept growing and growing and growing. But then almost immediately it came crashing down. That's how it would have felt to Paul. Paul, humanly speaking, would have been devastated and humanly anxious. And I love that. I think he was. I can totally relate to this. Sometimes we think Paul didn't have these kind of feelings, but he did. First Thessalonians, we can see it. He's concerned. He's worried. He's doubting. He's unsure of God's plan. And he's upset that the work that cost him so dearly, that started off so remarkably well, um, which looked like a true positive example for the rest of the effort to reach the Gentiles, was destroyed overnight by jealous Jews uh, or Romans or Satan or all of the above. And Paul was helpless. What could he do? Uh, They left Timothy behind, but Timothy's young, and he's not Paul. So Paul was shamefully escorted away uh, to Berea, and uh, Berea, 50 miles away from Thessalonica. So at least from there, he could watch from a distance. He could send helpers or missives back and forth. But guess what? The jealous Thessalonian Jews came to Berea in verse 11. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So noble character, really a better understanding is that this was an upper class area compared to Thessalonica. They were open to other views. They weren't closed-minded. They were willing to dialogue about stuff. That's that's the idea of the Bereans. Uh, This was a vacation spot nearby Thessalonica. So people had summer homes. Are you with me on on the kind of feel of that area? Verse 12, many of the Jews believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women. There's women again, and Greek men. So this time uh, in, in Berea, many Jews believed. A different word from convinced that we saw in Thessalonica, uh, eschemon, Greek women, the Greek word means to be considered especially worthy of public admiration, prominent, high standing, high repute, noble. So think powerful, generous female benefactors, and plural, by the way. So a number of them, not many, but number, and and a few men. Berea was a dramatic success. Then verse 13, when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. So I'm guessing that some of the benefactors for the Thessalonica church were in Berea, and uh, the Jews were concerned, these particular Jews were concerned about losing that benefaction. Uh, That that could, could likely be. Or maybe they saw Paul, Paul was just still too close and was still affecting their people. So Paul's got to go. So they salueoed, this is disturbing inwardly, and terasso, they caused confusion. See, that's what you do to stir up a crowd. And whether it's coin or rumors or threats, uh, man, this anti-Paul momentum was building in the region. And uh, even among higher class people, uh, even among the, the educated, uh, you know, I'm thinking the, the winning confusion would be somebody whispering into the ears of some lord or, or, um, or, or expensive banker, say, look, you don't want to tick off Rome here. You don't want to lose Rome's benefaction. You don't want Roman troops coming into Berea, do you? And uh, yeah, that worked. 
Verse 14, the brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast. So there we go. The brothers, I mean, graciously, they went with Paul, but they got him on a boat and sent him down to Athens. But Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. So Berea, spirit powerfully moved. And I bet that Paul was dancing, grateful to God. Uh, maybe he was thinking, well, this is the reason I was kicked out of Thessalonica, so this would happen. Praise God. And again, shocked at how powerful the gospel was because he was seeing true evidence. But then, once again, like snuffing out a candle, it was crushed. And Paul, once again, in defeat and shame, was led down to Athens, which is nowhere near Berea or Thessalonica, totally different province, and Paul was alone. We get it? This was this was a disaster. <sighs> you know, we talk about critical inner voices today. Uh, all pastors have them. I guarantee you. You know, uh, did, did you know that Mondays are the days that pastors, if they're going to resign, that's the day they resign on Mondays, right after Sunday. Are you with me? It's those critical inner voices. Um, you know, I remember. Uh, I thought I had preached a pretty good sermon, and somebody came up to me, and I know they meant well, and said, Pastor, Pastor Bill, that was a wonderful sermon this week. And what I heard was, this week. <laughs> you know, I, it's, it was that critical inner voice in my, in my head. Um, and I, it happens to Paul as well. Isn't that encouraging? In her book, Yes, Please, comedian Amy Poehler described this inner enemy as a demon voice, right? Here's what she says. This very patient and determined demon shows up in your bedroom one day and refuses to leave. You're six or 12 or 15. You look in the mirror and you hear a voice so awful and mean that it takes your breath away. It tells you that you're fat and ugly and you don't deserve love. And the scary part is the demon is your own voice. One blogger says that critical inner voice exists in all of us, reminding us constantly that we aren't good enough and don't deserve anything good. It tends to be louder and meaner in some of us than others, and it tends to pick on us more or less at different points in our lives. Yet one thing's for sure, as long as we're listening to this dangerous critic that twists our reality, we cannot really trust our perceptions of what others think of us. To one degree or another, we are lonely and feel broken. But for Paul... You know, I wonder what he would have thought. Uh, was he being judged by God? Had he messed up? Was it because of all the Christians he murdered? Was God somehow disappointed? Had God overlooked Paul? Was he done? All of those things would be common to pastors. Um, he might have wondered if the gospel was really powerful. Oh, sure, it can start a movement, but can it sustain one? Is the rest of his life him just hitting his head against the wall? Um could it last? Or is Satan bigger? All those things are not true. It's just what critical inner voices do. And I'm suggesting that Paul was, was very lonely. And it would not have surprised me for him to have moments of depression. It's not written. I'm just saying he's had to, he has depression in other places, it would appear. This would have been a good one. He was alone. And, and his Athens ministry was comparative to Thessalonica and Berea. It was horrific. It, it was horrific. Um, and you know what? He didn't, he doesn't stay long. And then he goes over to Corinth, even further away from Macedonia. It's, it's crazy. And then Timothy shows up. Whew! And 
Timothy shows up with a amazing, shocking, surprising, wonderful report about what's going on in Thessalonia and in uh, Thessalonica and Berea. Uh, amazing report. And Paul can't help himself. He wants to vent all of his joy, his relief, his thankfulness and wonder into a short letter relative to some of the other letters uh, to specifically uh, blow on the flame of the strategic church at Thessalonia, Thessalonica. And we get to peek into the heart of Paul in the early movement. You know, so what difference does the letter of 1 Thessalonians make to us today? It's just a historical record, right? Or is there a great takeaway? Well, that's for you to decide. Uh, and I would love to hear what you think as we go through this. Bill at gospel-app.com. Uh, we're going to do a short commercial break again. And I want to read my translation, my expanded translation of 1 Thessalonians all the way through. And uh, we'll pick it up there. All right. I'll be right back. <clears throat> All right, welcome back. So here's First Thessalonians, my revised, expanded translation. I'll be making a few comments, but I'm going to save those for the next couple of podcasts where we'll go section by section through First Thessalonians, okay? So here we go. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. As Silas, Timothy, and I pray regularly in the presence of God, we constantly are amazed at how the faith and love and hope was birthed in you by our Lord Jesus Christ. It clearly produced in you a new desire to do good works for others, a heaven-sourced love for others, even though you're being persecuted. There is a new endurance that is inexplicable by human means. Everyone can see that our gospel came to you not in just mere words, but also transforming power, and with the Holy Spirit, leaving no doubt that something miraculous has happened. And you know how we lived among you, for you, then you became imitators of us, having received the word even in the midst of great persecution from others, and still manifested Holy Spirit joy. You are a powerful example of what adoption to this benefactor looks like for all the believers in Macedonia and even Achaia. It's true. The word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but everywhere. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So what else can we say? I will tell you what the others are saying. First, they say how well you laid out the welcome mat for us. Uh, I'm going to stop a second. Two signs that Luke and Paul seem to, to show of conversion. Number one is this joy in the midst of in persecution. And second is hospitality, thinking of other people. Uh, and that's what Paul is saying here. Something changed, and they became even more hospitable than they would. They were they were hospitable to outsiders. Uh, something new. All right, I'll repeat that. I will tell you what the others are saying. First, they say how well you laid out the welcome mat for us, and secondly, they testify how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to tell of His Son, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. For you know, brothers. Our coming to you was not with power. On the contrary, having suffered and been shamed beforehand in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage in God to speak the good news of God to you, even in the face of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from deceit or impure motives or any underhanded methods, but rather we've been examined and were determined to be genuine by God, entrusted with the good news. And so we proclaim it. 
We don't speak to flatter people. Rather, we speak for God, the one who continues to examine our hearts. So we didn't go out with flattering words. I mean, as you know, nor with false or greedy motives. God is our witness. We were not seeking any preferential treatment from people, neither from you or others, though as apostles of Christ, we could have been demanding of you, but instead we were like children among you, like a mother taking care of her child. So having a strong yearning for you, we were pleased to share with you the good news of God. But we have another motive. You have become dear to us. You remember, brothers, our labor and hardships, working night and day to not be a burden to anyone. We proclaim the good news of God, and you are our witness, God as well, how devoutly and justly and even blamelessly we were to you believers. For you know how a father deals with each of his children. We exhorted you, we cheered you up, we urged you on, and as a matter of great import, to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we give thanks ceaselessly, just like we already said, to God for this, that you received the spoken word of God from us, accepting it not as word of men, but as it truly is, the word of God, which has become a dynamic within you believers. And so, like I said, you became imitators, brothers, of the assemblies of God and Christ Jesus in Judea. You suffered the same thing from your own countrymen that they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, driving us out, displeasing God and opposing all people, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved, completing their own rap sheet of sin. Wrath is about to come to them at the end. Brothers, we were separated from you for a short while in person, not in heart, and that motivated us even more so. And we did our very best with great longing to see you face to face, but because we wanted to come to you. Indeed, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. But what is our hope or joy or crown of pride before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? Yep, you are our glory and joy. And though I couldn't stand it, we resolved to leave me behind in Athens alone by myself. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's agent in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in in your faith uh, so that no one would be emotionally shaken by these persecutions. I mean, you know that persecutions are part of our destiny, right? In fact, when we were with you, we forewarned you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. And for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith, worried if the tempter had tempted you and all of our effort was in vain. But now, Timothy has come to us from you and told us the good news about your faith and love that you think of us affectionately. And you have a great desire to see us, just as we also want to see you. Therefore, brothers, even in all our calamity and persecution, we were so encouraged because of you, because of your faith, for now we live since you're standing firm before the Lord. How can I give appropriate thanks to God, or how can I rejoice with enough joy in prayer before God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again to rectify any deficiencies in your faith. Well, in closing, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you again. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow 
for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you, to strengthen your heart, your motivation, as being without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his holy ones. Amen. And finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in Christ Jesus, just as you receive from us, how it is necessary to behave and to please God, just as you do behave, by the way, but we want you to do it even more. For you know the instructions we gave to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the will of God, your sanctification, your walk. Separate yourself from sexual immorality. I mean, each of you should gain mastery over the desires associated with your genital organs in a way that is sanctifying and honorable, not driven by lustful passions like the unbelievers who do not know God. In this matter, one should not go beyond proper limits of behavior or exploit his brother or sister because the Lord's going to bring justice for all these things that we have already told you and bore witness to. For God did not call us to be in a state of moral corruption, rather to be sanctified. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction doesn't reject man, but God, who has given you his Holy Spirit. Now, concerning sisterly and brotherly love, You don't need us to write to you about that because you yourselves are being taught by God to love one another. It's a miracle. And you do love one another. And we urge you, brothers, to do even more and to make a concerted effort to live peaceably, to mind your own business, to work with your hands, just as we instructed you. Live becomingly towards outsiders so that you are not dependent upon others. We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who are, who are already dead or who have recently passed away, right? So that you're not distressed like the rest of humanity who don't have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and was raised, thus also we believe that God will bring those who have fallen asleep, who have died through Jesus with him. For this we tell you by the Lord's word, we who are living who remain until the coming of the Lord, we shall certainly have no advantage over those who have already died. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive and are left alive, together with them, will be caught up on the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. So encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the specific day and hour of Jesus' coming, brothers, we really don't need to write any more to you, for you already know quite well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When others foolishly say, peace and security, sudden destruction will overtake them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will definitely not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, and that the day should catch you by surprise like a thief, for you are all children of light and of the day, not of night or darkness. Therefore, let us not be like the others who are already dead. Rather, let us be on alert and of sober reasonableness. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be self-controlled, sober, having put on a breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. Because God did not appoint us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are alive or dead, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, which is exactly what you're doing. Also, we ask you, brothers, to acknowledge those who are working among you, those who are your patron benefactors in the Lord, 
and those who must sometimes admonish you. Esteem them very highly and love on account of their work. Be sure to keep the peace with them. We urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, be patient with all. See no, see that no one returns evil for evil. Instead, pursue what is good towards one another and towards everyone. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold to the good. Abstain from every kind of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one calling you is faithful. He will make sure all this happens. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. There it is. Can you hear the personal touches of Paul, the, the, uh, the emotion, the, the relief, the, the joy. Uh, he's just trying to be so careful with them, you know, as you know. And we don't even need to tell you about this because you're already doing it. We just want you to do more, those kind of statements over and over. Uh, it's Paul really at his finest. Uh, uh, this is Paul speaking from the cuff, okay? All right, so in the next couple of podcasts, we're going to go back and look at the... Uh, First Thessalonians in a little more detail with my comments. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. And once again, thanks to Life Audio for being the base of our podcast. Uh, you can check them out at lifeaudio.com. We'll see you next time. Take heart, child of God. And by the way, we are going to get back to the uh, Sermon on the Mount eventually. No worries. Okay, just ride with us on First Thessalonians. There are a lot of uh, comparable passages, so this is fun. So take heart, child of God. Remember, follow the Gospel Rant podcast. Help us get the words out to others. See you in the next podcast. God bless. Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.